Okay, so a formal welcome to the mystery of, of Hebrew numerology. So the topic is, I think, for many people, quite mysterious. Um, numerology is, uh, is a very mysterious topic in general. Hebrew numerology, uh, the most ancient form of numerology, is certainly uh, very mysterious. And what's amazing about it is, despite how mysterious it is, it is absolutely a, um, a mainstream part of Jewish, Jewish thought and specifically Torah study. If you really want to know, if you really want to understand the Torah, the Bible, you have to know Gematria. You have to know numerology because otherwise you're missing a whole layer of Torah interpretation. So to explain what I mean by this, um, I actually want to pull up, see if I can do this efficiently and effectively. Um, I'm going to share my screen with you. I'm pulling up a, uh, a PowerPoint presentation. Here we go. Okay, Mysteries of Hebrew Numerology, Demystifying Ancient Biblical Code. So that's what we're exploring tonight. Um, the screen's coming up okay? Yes? You're seeing that? Fantastic. Okay, good. What is gematria? So gematria is numerology, but it's also the secret code of creation. And, and the reason behind this is because the world is created, according to the Kabbalists, with Hebrew letters. The world is created with language, which we'll talk about soon. We'll elaborate on soon at length. Understanding gematria, which is the code of the letters, is really understanding then the code of creation. So that's really what we're, uh, what we're exploring. And we're also exploring the code of Torah, the code of biblical analysis. Like I said a few moments ago, it's, it's really hard to have an accurate grasp of Torah, of Judaism, um, without understanding the, the, the concept and really the mechanics of gematria. Gematria is, the, is the, the Hebrew word for numerology. Now, there are different ways to read Hebrew letters. I'm going to pull up a few here on the, uh, on the screen right now. When you, when you encounter Hebrew letters, you can analyze the letters on different dimensions. You can look at the language, you can look at the art, you can look at the music, and you can look at the mathematics. Let's go through them one at a time. You see, when we encounter a text in whatever language it is, if you, if you open up a book in English, or if you open up a book in Hebrew, you open up a Bible or a Torah scroll, you would assume that the way to understand the text is through language. In other words, is through the meaning of the words, the letters and the words. So if you open up a book, let's think of a book. If you open up a book, um, thinking of a, of a book to mention. Who has a book for me? I've, I've, I have a few that are, uh, what's, what's, a, what's a good book that we can talk about? All Quiet on the Western Front. In English or Hebrew? No, English, an English book. Any English book. Let's talk about, um, I, say, I mentioned All Quiet on the Western Front. We read that in high school. Um, are we getting any suggestions here in the chat? The little, oh, The Little Caterpillar, The Giving Tree, yeah, yeah, which we did a session on. So when it comes to a book, you encounter the book. Let's, uh, let's do this once again. So when we encounter 
A, um, when we encounter a book in written form, we typically hone in and we focus on We typically focus on, can you guys see my screen? Yes? Okay. We typically focus on the language, the meaning of the letters and the words. We read the narrative, we read the book, and it makes sense, and we understand it, and it's wonderful. But what's interesting is that when it comes to Hebrew, Hebrew has another layer, has multiple layers. Not only do the words mean something, the shape of the letters means something. You can analyze the shape of the Hebrew letters, the shape of an aleph, the shape of a bet, the shape of a gimel, the shape of a dalet, etc. The very shape of the letters actually carries meaning. For those of you that join me Sunday mornings for Kabbalah and coffee, you know this very true. You know this to be true. We've been exploring the energy of chachma and bina, creativity and analytical thought, and we've, been under, and we've been exploring how those energies are captured in the shape of the letters yud and the, letter, the letters yud and hey, respectively. Which means that Hebrew letters don't just mean something when you put them in a word, right? When you have a few letters put together in a word, then it means something. No, no, no. Every letter means something on its own. The shape, the design, the art. Every letter is art, and art has a meaning. Irrespective of how it's, con it's combined with other letters, that individual letter has a message, has a meaning in its shape. You should know that when it comes to uh, the, the Jewish laws of writing a Torah scroll, the laws are very precise. It has to be written in a very precise fashion. In fact, in Jewish law, if you're reading from a Torah scroll and you notice that two of the Hebrew letters are touching, and when I say touching, what I mean is that the black ink, because it's always black ink on white parchment, if the black ink is connected between two letters, your Torah scroll is not kosher. It's puzzle. It's unfit for use. And you have to take it to a scribe who fixes it and makes each letter independent. And you would say, you know, what's the big deal? You can read it. You can still read it. You know that this is one letter, another letter. Does it matter that it's connected? The, the answer is yes, it does matter. And the laws of writing the Hebrew letters in a Torah scroll are so precise that it takes years of study to master and, and practice to master it because there's meaning in the shape itself. It's not just about the language of the language, it's about the design as well. The third level, as you see here on the screen, the third level is the music, the cantillation note. We know famously when you read the Torah scroll in a synagogue, there's a way in which it's chanted and sung, and there's something that we call trup, which is, um, well, there aren't markings in the Torah scroll, but we know that when you have a, uh, a chumash, a, um, a book of the Torah, so it has the vowels and it also has the musical notes that the, Torah, that the Torah is read with, and the notes themselves also carry meaning. And the final dimension that we're going to speak of, and this will be the focus, of course, of, of, of this series, is uh, mathematics. The letters also contain a math formula, the numerology. The, the words in Hebrew... The words of the Torah can be understood on multiple levels. You can understand the meaning of the word, the language meaning. 
You can look at the artistic meaning, the design. You can look at the musical meaning, the cantillation notes. And you can look at the mathematical meaning in the numerology. Torah can be interpreted on multiple levels and they all work together to give us a powerful, a deep and a broad uh, um, mosaic of, 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 of the meaning of, of the verses of the Torah. The Torah is not a one-dimensional or two-dimensional uh, text. It is in multiple dimensions that are working together simultaneously. It's kind of like, if you recall, I'm going to stop sharing my screen so that I can, I can see you all. Um, if, you if you remember back in the day, um, overhead projectors. Remember overhead projectors? Yeah, that big box with a glass top and the big thing that kind of the arm that came up from it or something. Yes, yes. And, and you would put down, um, what were they called? What were the plastic sheets? The Transparencies. Transparencies. Excellent. Tra thank you. Transparencies. And you could layer different transparencies, right? You could put one layer that had one type of image or color and then lay another one on top of it and another one on top of it until you get, you know, the full picture. And it's the same thing when it comes to Torah, when it comes to the Hebrew language especially as, as, as encoded in Torah. You have Torah interpretation on multiple levels. You can understand the meaning of a verse, the language meaning. You can understand the artistic meaning. You can understand the musical meaning. And you can understand the numerological, the mathematical meaning of those words of the verse. This course, we're focusing on the numbers. This is the matrix, right? This is the code, the code of Torah, the code of creation. This is, this is the big stuff. These are the secrets that pretty much only the Kabbalists dabble in um, because it's so deep and it's, it's kind of amazing. Okay, so before we jump in, I want to kind of outline what we're going to do tonight. So we're going to explore the basics of gematria, a.k.a. Hebrew numerology, I'll explain kind of the, the meaning of gematria, what's, what, what does the word mean. We'll describe the, the process by which numbers are associated with letters. And then we're going to jump right in and look at a number of case studies, a number of gematriot, a number of numerological formulas that you and I can work and apply to make sense of various texts and various Jewish ideas and biblical narratives. I just want to confirm uh, with, with all of you, did everybody get a copy of the PDF and the, the Gematria chart? Yes? Okay, it looks like everybody. If you didn't, if you did not get that, um, you could either let me know in the chat or you can unmute yourself and let me know that. Either way, I have a, both the PowerPoint that I'm sharing as well as the PDF. So we're going to be, oh. Mindy did not get it. Oh, my apologies, Mindy. Um, um, ba, 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 ba. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to drop the files into the chat box. That's a very um, efficient way for me to share it. So hang tight. I'm dropping. And, and whoever didn't get it will now have it. I just dropped it in. 
The PDF is um, the student booklet PDF is there and the chart is incoming. Hold on. The chart is, is an image. There it is. Okay. Those are the two files. So at this point, as long as you go to the chat or your email, you should have it. I'll also be sharing my screen. Okay. So what does gematria mean? Let's start with the basics. What does the word gematria? You know, you signed up to a, to a Hebrew numerology course and the next thing you know, I'm using the word gematria. Well, so what is gematria? So spoiler alert, I mentioned it before, but let me just make sure that everyone's with me on this. Gematria means numerology. That's the word. That's the word for numerology. The question is, what does the Hebrew word, why does it mean that? Where does that come from? So I'm going to share my screen with you and let's, uh, and, and I'm going to, this time I'm going to use the, uh, once again, the PowerPoint, but again, you can follow along whatever your favorite method is. Okay. Gematria. Some say this is coming from the Tosfot Yomtev, who was a commentary on the Mishnah. Some say that gematria comes from the Greek word for geometry, right? Gematria, geometry. You see how it almost sounds, it sounds almost similar. And if you want to know how to spell the, the Greek word gematria, uh, sorry, geometry, I wrote it there according to my uh, research on, on, on Greek writing. That should be um, geometry, should be. Don't quote me on it, but that's what it should be. So what is geometry? Geometry is mathematics and relativity, right? Geometry is about mathematics and relativity in space. And very similar is gematria, Hebrew numerology, which is also about mathematics and connections, relativity. It's about how things are relative to one another based on their mathematical formulas, which we will describe tonight. According to others, the word gematria in Hebrew comes from the Aramaic. It's actually two Aramaic words, and I wrote them here, as you see on this, uh, on this slide in the Hebrew. It's also in your PDF handouts. It's in the Aramaic, we would pronounce it gematura, which means a wide valley that emerges from the bottom of a mountain. So imagine a big mountain, and at the bottom you have a valley that emerges from there. And in a similar way, gematria indicates a valley of wisdom that emerges from the mountain of Torah. So if Torah, if the Bible is the mountain of wisdom, so much wisdom, but also so high and lofty, Gematra is a path, is that valley that emerges from that mountain that shares wisdom with us in a way that is, uh, that is magical. Gematria is usually applied to Hebrew words, the biblical Hebrew words, although sometimes we find Gematria in other languages, numerology in Aramaic and also Yiddish. There's Yiddish gematria as well. Um, but typically, typically the gematria Hebrew numerology will be in Hebrew. There are four, this is important. There are four levels of Torah interpretation. And it's known as, as you see here on the, on the screen, it's known as pardis. Pardis is a Hebrew word that is usually translated as the orchard. But pardes is also an acronym. And I, what I did in the English, the word pardes, if you notice, we have some uppercase and lowercase letters. 
it's the uppercase letters that form the consonants of this word pardes. Pei reish dalet samach, or the P, the R, the D, and the S, pardes, which stands for four levels of Torah interpretation. Pshat, that's the P, that's the straightforward meaning. The R is for remez, which is the allegorical, like the, what the text hints to. It's like a hint. It's not a literal meaning, but it's a hint, a hinted meaning. The D stands for drush, which is a homiletical understanding. And the final S stands for sod, which is the mystical understanding of a text, which is basically the Kabbalah. So anytime you encounter any passage in Torah, no matter what it is, it could be the most complex verse, it could be the most innocent sounding verse in the Bible, something that seems so straightforward, you can understand each and every single verse on four levels. The simple, the allegorical, the homiletical, and the mystical. And I'm gonna take a moment to explain what these four levels are. I'm not gonna give you an example, that would take too much time. There's like four examples, take one verse and break it down. That could be its own class. In fact, it could be its own course of study to study the entire Torah on four levels simultaneously. That would actually be a very, uh, a very interesting um, course of study but perhaps for another time. But let me just give you the simple explanation of what these four levels are. So pshat, when you study the Torah on a level of pshat, you're understanding the story or the law that's being presented in front of you, simple. Remez, the allegorical, is what this idea hints to. There's like a hint. This is telling you something not about itself, but about something else. So like this thing is hinting about something else. A little bit uh, not straightforward, allegorical. Homiletical is, drush is like the medrash, the midrash, which is about kind of extracting life lessons or um, you know, personal relevance from a verse, from a law. So it's something that's, that's like an instruction, a, like a sermon type thing that's coming out from the text. And of course, so the mystical is straight up the Kabbalistic. That's, um, that's the deepest level. That's the, uh, the esoteric, Kabbalistic, mystical dimension of Torah. Within each four level, which within each, each of these four levels, you have multiple other levels. It's not a static, you know, uh, place but it's open on, it, there, there are many forms of straightforward, allegorical, homiletical, and mystical interpretations, but in general, they, they, they fall into one of these four categories. It's either basic, it's a hint, it's a homily, or it's mystical. Okay, where does gematria, where does Jewish, where does Hebrew numerology lie? Where, where, what level is, uh, is gematria? It's not straightforward. It could be remez, it could be an, an allegorical understanding, or it could be sod, which is mystical. In fact, much of Jewish uh, numerology, Hebrew numerology, is explored, as I mentioned before, by the Kabbalists, so it would belong to that fourth category. So it's either category number two or category number four, kind of depending on, on, on who you're asking. Now. Let me just check in and make sure that everybody is with me so far. Does uh, is is what does what I'm say is what I'm saying? Does it make sense so far? Yes. Okay. Good. We're do listen. 
I, I, we need to lay some groundwork, so it's a little bit of, 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 of facts and a little bit of, uh, of fundamentals before we can jump in and start, and start doing the math. Okay. Many people wonder when it comes to numerology, and I've been asked this before uh, by folks, and the question is, you know, can you just take numbers, the letters and the numbers, and start coming up with insights and, and with explanations? And the answer is, not really. According to the classic way of, uh, of understanding gematria, you do it based on an existing connection or an existing concept that you know that you're also finding support based on the numerology. In other words, you know that this verse or this concept has multiple layers of meaning, including whatever this one is, whatever subject we're talking about. And we're going to give many case studies of this in this class. So you know that it has a certain, a given meaning. Gematria exposes the matrix, exposes the numbers behind it. And it shows how this verse, meaning that thing, is not some random connection, but it's actually numerolo numerologically sound. The numbers line up, and it's a perfect match. So you don't start throwing stuff against the wall to see what sticks. It's kind of like when you know there's an association already, then you look to the numbers and you confirm that indeed the numbers are matching. So I'm, I'm going to now cite, let me share my screen. And uh, once again, what I'm going to do is, give me a second. What I want to do is bring up the PDF that I shared earlier. So if you have that, um, please get that, please get that ready uh, because we are going to be jumping in right now. Okay. Okay. So this is the PDF that I shared and you should have this open. If not, no worries. Okay, meaning of gematria we explored. Okay, tradition. Here we go. I am going to read some of these texts right up here. This is coming from Pirkei Avot, Ethics of the Fathers. And look what it says. It says gematriot, which is basically the plural of gematria, numerologies, are condiments to wisdom. So what's a condiment? It's like ketchup. It's like mustard. It's like the accessory to wisdom. So what does this mean? It means that after you have a certain base of knowledge, after you know something, the numerology is the icing on the cake that makes that connection or that, that exposes the connection that conceptually is already there. So once you have something that you know, so then you can build on it or you can solidify it with the numerology which means essentially that numerology is used in cases where there's already a tradition for, the me for, that, for that general meaning. Um, if we look at Ramban Nachmanides, which is the next text over here, he writes the following. He says, everything handed to Moses in the gates of understanding, all is written in the Torah explicitly or hinted through words or gematriot or the forms of letters. So Nachmanides writes that when God gave Moses the Torah, so all of the information is somewhere. It's either written straight up, it's either written clearly 
or it's hinted through the words or hinted through the numerology or the forms of the, or the shapes of the letters. And here you see again the forms of the letters, the art of the letters deep, have, have a layer of meaning. But the point that we're focusing on, of course, is the gematriot, uh, the numerology that contains secrets of understa biblical understanding. And this gets back to what I mentioned before, again from Nachmanides, and this is uh, just supporting what I mentioned about not throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks. He says, a person should not think that the calculation of letters that we call gematria is nonsense, since a person could transform many verses to strange and evil ideas. What he's saying is, don't take numerology and start coming up with baba mices. The reason for this is, because a person may not use the gematria methodology to reach conclusions that arose in his head. Rather, we have a Kabbalah, this means not the mystical thing, but tradition, we have a Kabbalah tradition that Moses was given certain gematriot to be a reminder of a matter that was said orally. Thus, the calculation of gematria, numerology, is to upkeep what was given and not to destroy. This is very important. As Nachmanani says, gematria, numerology, is meant to support kind of the, the essence of what we know and to add on and to make it richer and to show the code behind it, but not just to make up stuff. Sometimes you'll encounter, you know, biblical codes, all sorts of varieties, all sorts of... I, I'm, I'm going to speak a little bit brutally here. Narishkeiten. You know what Narishkeit is? You know that Yiddish word, Narishkeit? Who, who can unmute yourself if you know what Narishkeit is? Narishkeit. I do, I do. Mindy, go, go ahead. It's Jump like in. nonsense, like foolishness. All, all sorts of, yes, exactly. Narishkeit. You're talking Narishkeit, she would always say. Like that, nonsense. That's it. Talking Narishkeit. So there's a lot of, thank you, there's a lot of biblical codes that are out there that are Narishkeit. It's like this number plus that number plus the other number equals the winner of Super Bowl 50. It's like, come on. It's not, that's not, uh, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about Gematria. When we talk about Gematria, we're talking about a system that reveals truths of Torah that are authentic, that we know from, let's say, other sources. We know the concepts generally from other places. And it's supported by the numbers, and you can see the code as it plays out. And that's when it becomes breathtaking and amazing. It's not about coming up with predictions about, you know, this, that, or the other. Or, you know, I've seen, I remember, there was a book, I think it was published in the 90s, Bible Codes. You know, if you skip every 25th letter from this chapter, that chapter, so then you end up, you know, with, uh, you know, a JFK assassination, you know, uh, thing and Lee Harvey Oswald. I, that, that's not authentic gematria. Listen, I don't have, I'm not, this is not a personal thing against anyone who wrote it. Who, that's, it's fine. It's a book, Gesundheit, hey, knock yourself out. But that's not gematria. Gematri is a very specific system to explore authentic Torah ideas, not some sort of modern pop culture mashup. That's not what Gematri is about, right? Gematri is not about picking the, the winner of the next uh, um, Kentucky Derby horse race. That's not what Gematri is about. Gematri is about authentic Torah study and Torah analysis 
using, like you would use the letters in the meaning or the shape of the letters, you're using now the numbers for the authentic tradition. All of the great commentaries that taught Gematria cautioned, gave the same cautionary thing. Yes, once you know the methodology, which we're about to share, once you know the methodology and you know the number system, now it's open, right? Now you can just apply it as you wish. You can run it through a computer and start coming up with all sorts of combinations. And you could, and people have done it. But that doesn't make it authentic. There's a difference between authentic gematria and inauthentic gematria. We're going to explore authentic gematria taught by classic, um, well-accepted sources, and, and we'll get a good feel for this. Okay, hope that made sense. Does that make sense? That's the, uh, the, the, the disclaimer, or not disclaimer, the, uh, not warning, but that's, okay, fine. So let's, uh, let's continue. Now, let's talk about the Kabbalah of Gematria. And let's understand where this comes from, where the numerology comes from on a mystical mystical level. So the Torah tells us that God created the world. It's in the book of Genesis. God created the world through language, through speech. God said, let there be light. God said, let there be light. And there was light. God said, let there be a firmament to heaven, and there was. God said, let there be this, and there was this. God said, let there, be, let there be that, and there was that. So creation happens through a process of conversation, communication, through speech, through language. It says in Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers, let me share my screen with you once again, back to the handout, back to the PDF. Take a look, Pirkei Avot, chapter 5, uh, Mishnah 1, the world was created with 10 divine utterances. In the prayers every morning, every day, we say the Baruch Sha'amar prayer. And in that prayer, in the liturgy, it says, Blessed is He, is God who spoke, and the world came into being. The world comes into being through God speaking, through the articulation of language. That is the language of the Bible, is using language as the methodology and modality of creation itself. If we analyze the opening verse of the Torah, which we all know is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In the Hebrew it's Bereshit bara lukim, eight hashamayim eight ha'aretz. God created not hashamayim va'aretz, heaven and earth, but the heavens and the earth with the extra Hebrew word et. And et is a combination, it's a two-letter word that is spelled with an aleph and a tuf the first and last letters of the Hebrew alphabet, the Aleph and the Tuf, it's kind of like A to Z, like the A and the Z. So the, the way Kabbalah explains this, the opening verse of the Torah is telling us that God created heavens and earth with the Et, with the Aleph through Tuf, with the language of creation. What this means is very simple. And if you've taken some Kabbalah classes with me in the past, or if you've studied perhaps Kabbalah on your own in the past, then you might know this. And that is that Hebrew... And the, and the biblical language is actually the code of creation. Think of computer code. Think of the significance of what a computer code does. It's not just a, a random collection of letters, but it actually creates and makes something happen. So too, do the, does the language of God 
found in the book of Genesis, the actual language itself supports and creates creation. What I want to do is, I want to share my screen with you. I'm going to do an experiment. I want to see if this is going to work. Um, give me a second. I actually want to experiment with some code. I'm not a coder, but I've been known to, uh, to do some dabbling. So I'm about to share my screen with you. Okay, this is a web page. Can you guys all see that? Yes? It happens to be the, uh, the InTown Jewish Academy website. Our new website, which we just launched last week. Now, this is, uh, the website is, is hosted on Squarespace, which is a platform for, for website creation and website design. Um, this is right now, the website is in mobile view, preview. Um, I can preview it in, uh, in standard desktop view. This is, right, that's the desktop view, web page. And this is, when I toggle that little mobile preview button, it goes into mobile preview. Okay, and you see how there's two lines over there on the left side, top left corner, which is the menu. And then you have the center logo, which is the home button, and then the cart on the right. Okay, look on the left side of this page and you'll see a code. Do you see the code that I just highlighted on the left side? Can you see that code? Yeah? Watch what happens when I delete that code. Watch what happens to the header. Look at the header of this page. You see where the logo is now? The logo on the website is on the left, then you have the card on the right, and the menu on the right. Okay? If I add back the code, what happens? It changes. So the code is combined of letters, right? dot header dash display dash mobile dot header dash burger position absolute yeah it's a code it's code and if I adjust the code if I adjust the letters of the code it changes the design okay so this is I mean this is just a, a, a you know a, a small example of everything that we own not everything but so many things that we look at through a screen or pretty much everything we look at through a screen is is driven by code and the code is driven by letters. You make one adjustment to a letter and you can change the reality that, is, that, that appears before you. If you have the wrong code, you can break it and the whole thing might not work, right? The whole software, the whole, the whole code won't work if there's one letter that's, that's, uh, that, that's, that's incorrect. The Hebrew letters, Kabbalah says, are the very matrix, the code of the universe. They comprise the code of existence. Everything is carefully coded and laid down in code. If you imagine, picture it like this. Take the Hebrew letters of the Torah and lay them out, and that's your code of existence. Certainly the code of the opening chapter 2 of Genesis, which, which talks about creation itself, that is the code of creation. Alter, modify, change, delete letters, and you're, and, you're, and, and you're affecting the actual creation itself. That is the extent of the powers of the Hebrew letters. And this is true of the Hebrew letters throughout the Torah, throughout the Bible. Now, this is why there are certain Hebrew words, for example, that share the same letters. And when something, when two words share the same Hebrew letters, that's an indication that there's a commonality between those two words. So the example that we're going to use 
is, and we're going to go back to the, uh, to the PowerPoint, the example we're going to use are the Hebrew word, oh, this is what I mentioned before, let me just, uh, this is the opening verse of the Torah, Bereshit, Barah Lokim, Eit HaShemayim Ve'et HaAretz, and again, Eit is Aleph through Tav, okay, we, we spoke about that, computer code, we spoke about that, um, okay, so, for example, the Kabbalists explain that the Hebrew word for stone, Evan, so the, the three Hebrew letters, the Aleph, the Bet, and the Nun, are actually the code of the item, the substance, the matter, that we call stone. The stone is coded by those three letters, and that's what produces the stone. It's not just a name like in English. When we call a stone a stone, it's not like the letters S-T-O-N-E have anything to do with the, the essence and the nature of that item. They don't. It's just random letters that we associated with that thing. When it comes to the Hebrew, the Hebrew letters are the code of creation. Similar to kind of uh, um, science, uh, uh, the, uh, the uh, chemical formulas, for example, NaCl, sodium chloride, H2O, dihydrogen monoxide. So these are the codes are symbolic, are significant. Na is sodium, Cl is chloride. H is hydrogen. O is, uh, is oxygen. So it's significant. The letters there are significant in, in the scientific formulas. The same thing is true with, uh, with the Hebrew, with the code of creation. Therefore, and this is where we're headed with this, therefore you could have two Hebrew words that seem to mean two different things but are connected. And the reason they're connected, they have to be connected, is if they share the same letters, they share the same code, then there has to be a connection. Are you with me on that argument? In other words, if, if you have two Hebrew words that share the same Hebrew letters, so even though we understand them to have different meanings, at the core they have to, they have, there has to be a connection between them because they share the same spiritual DNA. The letters are the DNA, so they have to have a connection. So the two words that we're going to explore now for a moment is uh, the first word is emunah, which means faith. And the second word is, is umnot, which means training, or um, umnot is like, uh, yeah, like training. Like when you train apprentice at something. So what's the connection between emunah and umnot? So the mystics explain it's very much connected. And you can see, you know, even if you're not uh, super... Um, you know, fluent in the Hebrew, you can see how clearly there are connections between the letters. There's Aleph and Aleph, and Mem and Mem, and Nun and Nun, and, and, and you see how the core letters are matching up between the two. So, which means that even though one word means faith and one, one word means training, there has to be a conceptual connection between them because they share the same spiritual letter DNA. So, what's the connection? The connection is that how does one have faith? How does one truly have faith in, let's say, God, for example, it's when a person, it's when a person trains themselves um, in that way. You have to do the work to train yourself to see God in everything around you. That's what builds the faith. For someone to, you know, if we go through life and we're not paying attention, we're not looking to find kind of the deeper stories beneath the stories, then it's going to be hard to have that faith when we need it. But if we train ourselves, umnot, the second word, if we train ourselves to find something deeper in every situation, 
Well, then that's what builds the muscle of faith. Faith is something that is trained. It's not something that we can just jump on when we need it. It's the product of work. Somebody asked me in the chat, are there infinite combinations? The answer is yes. Yes. Not that we're going to explore infinite combinations in a finite class, but theoretically the answer is uh, yes. Um, uh, David is writing Emmet. Emmet. Yeah, Emmet. Uh, David, explain Emmet as Amuna or Emmet is a different word? David Lazan. Yeah, so in terms of faith and training, um, you, you get your faith from the truth, and so Emmet is associated with Emunah. Right, it definitely shares a few of the letters, right? Right, it definitely shares a few of the letters, and, and we can say that training and faith is uh, what comes before it and what follows it is uh, it's surrounded by truth. I want to show you another one on the screen. And the reason why I did this PowerPoint, very basic PowerPoint, just so you could see the letters, the shapes of the letters. We have the Tes, the Vet, and the Ayin. Teva and Tubu. By the way, that top word is Teva, like the sandal company, like that Israeli, Teva, right? So Teva means nature. Tubu, which is the second word, means sunk. Like, for example, the Torah uses that, the Bible uses that word when it talks about the Egyptians that were chasing after the Jewish people by the, by the sea, and they sunk. Tubu b'yam suf. They sank, they were sunk into the Sea of Reeds. So, nature and sunk, and a person might say, well, those are two completely different words. Nature is nature. Sunk is at the bottom of the water. That's something else. I mean, water is part of nature, but that doesn't seem to have... A, uh, um, a conceptual connection, but, and here's the key point, remember, Hebrew letters are the code of creation. They're not just like English letters or any other letters that are randomly associated with sounds and meanings, but these letters are the actual DNA, the core code of creation. You mess with the letter, you mess with the item. So these are not associated randomly, these are very precise. So if two words share the same letters, there's a connection. What's the connection? What is nature? Nature is none other than, I'm giving you the mystical explanation, the Kabbalistic explanation of the connection. Nature is nothing other than God hidden. And what is sunk? Sunk, when something sinks under the water, then it's hidden. So imagine, you take a, what are, you, what are you taking? You take a treasure chest, yeah? Let's talk about pirates or whatever. You take a treasure chest and you drop it into the ocean and it sinks down to the bottom, okay? Now you look out at the ocean, the surface of the ocean. Do you see the treasure chest? No. Is it there? Yes. That's what sunk means. When something sinks, what does it mean? It was apparent, you could see it before. When it sinks, you can no longer see it because it's under the water. By the way, I'm very well aware that you can do some scuba diving and sonar and, and find it, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when you're outside, right? When you're on the surface or above the surface and something sinks beneath the surface, typically you can no longer see it anymore. You saw it and now you can't see it. That is what teva is. That is what nature is. What is nature? It's the space in which God 
dips under and you can no longer see God. And so a person could say, oh, the world? No, Mother Nature, right? The sun, uh, the wind, the ocean, the birds, the trees. I don't see God. That's the point. God is sunk in creation. God is sunk in nature. And we don't see God on an apparent level. Let's see if I have more of these. Um, okay, another connection. Oh, so wait, hold on. This is going to get to numerology. We're about to jump in. Um, so we, we understand that the, or I, I've been explaining that the Hebrew letters are the code of creation. Therefore, if two words share the same Hebrew letters, there's obviously, there's guaranteed to be a conceptual connection. But here's the kicker. What happens when two words don't share the same Hebrew letters? So you'd say, well, they're not connected. But what, what if, when you count up the numerology, which we'll show the chart soon, when you count up the number associated with that word, if it matches the number associated with another word, that can also be an indication of an energy level connection. So again, if the letters match, it's connected. If the numbers of the letters match, that could also be a connection. It's a little bit of a looser connection. Obviously, if the letters themselves, the shape of the letters, are matching up, that's, that's at least apparently above the surface. That seems like a stronger connection. But even if they don't, if the total numbers match up, that also is indicative of a, of a connection between these two words or two concepts. And to illustrate this, let me advance the slide. And here we have um, the two words, Elohim, I'm not pronouncing God's name the way it is, um, the way it is, uh, is written because we don't, we don't typically do that in a casual setting. So there's Elohim and Hateva. Now, the first word, Elohim, on the top line, that's one of the names of God in Scripture. The second word, Hateva, as you know now, means the nature. Right? Teva's nature, ha, the prefix he, means the. So the nature. So we have God and nature. So what's going on here? Once again, there's a connection. Although they don't share the same letters, as you see the letters, the shapes are very different, they do share the same numerology. And what's the shared numerology? It's the number 86. We're going to show the chart soon, and we'll have the chart that we can, once you have the chart, you can take any letter, match it up, do the math, and you'll have your numbers, and it's easy. You, you have the file already, you can open it up now. The Aleph, Lamed, He, Yud, Mem, the top word, Elohim, that number is 86. Hateva, He, Tes, Vet, Ayin is also 86. And the fact that they're connected, 86, that is an indicator that doesn't create a connection, but that's indicative of the connection between these two words. And what is the connection? The divine name Elohim is the divine name that signifies God within nature. God as shrouded, self-concealed. Not that there's anything else concealing God, but God as God sinks within nature, so to speak, hides within nature. There's the God, so to speak. There's only one God, but there's God in the modality of miracles. Here I am, you can't ignore me. Do you see me now, right? Aren't I here? That's the divine name, Yudke Vavke, that we call Hashem, or Ado, and then followed by Nai, right? That's the other name, the other name of God, the four-letter name of God. Elohim is God concealed, God within nature. And that's why, of course, the opening verse of the Torah says, Bereshit bara Elohim, in the beginning Elohim created heaven and earth, because heaven and earth does not immediately bespeak its creator. When you look at heaven and earth, you say, well, beautiful. Nice earth, 
nice heavens, nice planets, you don't see God immediately. Doesn't mean you can't meditate and ponder and peel back the layers, but that's diving, that's putting on your wetsuit and your, uh, the flipper things, right? And diving underneath the surface to, to explore this sunken God, the sunken source within, within creation. The point is that Lukim and Atev are, are connected, and we see that by virtue of the numerology. Okay, so now what we're going to do is we're going to break out the chart. Misbar Hechrachi is what is the system of numerology that we're going to learn this week. There are multiple systems of numerology. This is the most normative, the most common, and the most usual. It's called Misbar Hechrachi, which in English refers, means absolute or normative value. So, I'm pulling up the chart right here. Again, you have the PDF, or sorry, not the PDF, you have the image, but here is the image for us all to look at together. There are 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, Aleph through Tav, as you know. In addition, there are also vowels. Okay, so we have the consonants and we have the vowels. The vowels are represented by dots. Let's start with the letters. In Misbar HaKrachi, which is the, the system of gematria, of numerology we're going to learn tonight, each letter from Aleph through Yud is associated with either with 1 through 10. So Aleph is 1, Bet or Bez is 2, Bez is the same letter, 2, Gimel is 3, Dalit is 4, He is 5, Vav is 6, Zion is 7, Ches is 8, Tes is 9, Yud is 10. So we have 10 letters, again, just to clarify, Bet and Vet are the same letter, just with a different vowel. One has a dot and one doesn't have a dot, but it's the same letter, therefore it has the same numerology. So we have 10 different letters, Aleph through Yud, and it's 1 through 10. Make sense? So far, yes? Okay. After Yud, it jumps from 10 to 20. Again, this is the normative system of Gematra. You jump from 10 and you go straight to 20. You don't go 10, 11, even though it's the 11th letter, you go from 10 to 20. So Yud is 10, Chaf is 20, or Kaf, Chaf is 20, uh, Lamed is 30, final Chaf, Lamed is 30, Mem is 40, Nun is 50, Samach is 60, Ayin is 70, Pei is 80, Tzadik is 90, and Kuf is 100. So you go 1 through 10, then again you go 10 through 100, and then after Kuf, you go in, multiple, in, in, in triple digits. You go from 100 to 200, Reish, 300 Shin and Sin, and 400 Tough and Soft, and that's your 22 letters. So in this first system that we're exploring this week, in the first system of Gematria of Numerology, you can go anywhere from 1 to 400. And all the combinations in the middle are covered because you have single digits covered, you have double digits covered, and you have triple digits covered through 400. Through, through 400. If you need a bigger number, you just, if you, 800 would be tough, tough, right? Each tough is 400, put two toughs together, you got 800. So this system pretty much covers all the numbers that you need. It's, this is the normative system. Now, the nekudot, the, the, the valorizations at the bottom of the page over there, so the way it works, I'm going to give you a very, very simple um, method for understanding the numerology of that. We're not going to focus in this series. It's, 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 
it's another layer of, of, of study and another layer of complexity. So I'm not going to mix it in. But I, I just want you to, to know this chart and to learn the basics of it. The basic formula is that the Nukudot are comprised of dots and lines. <laughs> if you look at it, you see circles and dashes. Circles and lines. Each circle is like a Yud, the letter Yud. And I'm putting my mouse by the letter Yud. So each circle is a 10. And each line is like a Vav, which is number 6. So let's do an exercise. Again, we always read right to left in Hebrew. The Nikudos chart. Look at the top vowel, Kamatz, right? You have one line and one circle. Every line equals 6 and every circle equals 10. What is 10 plus 6? You guessed it, 16. And that's why there's a little 16 in the corner. Patach is just a line, like the Vav, which is 6. The number is 6. Tseire, two dots. Each dot is a Yud. Each Yud is 10. Therefore, it's 20. Segal, three dots. 3 times 10 is 30. Shva, two dots, 20. Cholam. Is a is a va, is the vav a line plus a dot again six plus ten once again sixteen chirik one dot is ten shuruk three dots is thirty uh, the milup um, milupim is the vav again and the dot the the straight line of the dot which is six and ten so again it's sixteen okay let me check in with you I'm gonna stop sharing so you're gonna the, the this chart is gonna disappear let me check in and make sure that this makes sense so far, yes? Yes, makes sense? Okay, that, that chart is critical. But once you have that chart, and you have that chart, you literally have that chart. Once you have that chart, gematria, what is it, the world is your oyster or something? I don't know, whatever the cliche is. Gematria is accessible. Once you have the chart, that's it. You can go nuts. But don't go nuts, because remember, it has to be authentic. So don't just like start coming up with stuff. But once you know the formula, now you got it. So the letters go from 1 to 400. The number, the, the vowels shift, but don't worry about the vowels. We're not going to focus on the vowels. We're going to focus on the, the consonants and the words. Okay, let me check in. Any questions, comments thus far before we get into some real-time examples that will blow your mind? Any uh, questions, comments? No? About when did these numbers get developed? From the beginning. That's what the Ramban says from the beginning. Nachmanes writes that when God gave Moses the Torah, what he did was, let me explain. God taught Moses Judaism, Jewish law, the Bible, etc. And he told, he said to Moses, write this down. This is not just text that has meaning, but it's also the text that is the code. Are you with me on that? In other words, write down this. This is not just literary, uh, um, a literary work, it's also a mathematical work, an artistic work, a musical work, and it will be understood on multiple levels, which means that the, that the embedded code, the code, is from the beginning. From the beginning of the, of the emergence of Torah at Mount Sinai, we already have the, uh, the formula of gematria, of numerology. That, so the, the messages are encoded, and gematria helps us decode the message, if that makes sense. It's from the beginning. Now, let's look at some, let's practice some gematria. Okay, so this is, 
we did a lot of the theory, a lot of the background. We set the, the, the foundation. I spoke about the Kabbalah, why it works, because of the code. And then we gave the chart. Now, let's jump in. Here we go. You can't, you can't understand Torah without Gematria. That, that's, you're about to find out. You cannot understand the Bible if you don't know the code. So yes, the code goes deeper, but it's also basic. And I want to give you some examples. And with this, I'm going to share my screen. You have this in your PDF, but I like to share, I want to share this, um, this PowerPoint just because it's bigger and it's a little bit bolder for everyone to see. Okay. Let's explore Genesis 14, 14. Yeah, random verse. <laughs> Let me explain. So what happens is that Abraham, okay, well, this is before his name change. Then he was called Abram or Avram without the extra H sound, without the extra letter hey or H. So when, so the, um, the Torah tells us, the Bible tells us that um, Abraham's, I'm just going to call him Abraham, Abraham's nephew Lot, or Lot, got caught up in some sort of regional war and battle, and he was taken captive. And so Abraham jumps, springs into action, and he then endeavors to rescue his nephew who had been taken captive in war. This is the verse that talks about that. I'm going to read the verse in English, and then I'm going to tell you what's going on here. When Abram heard that his kinsman, his nephew, had been taken captive, he mustered his retainers. This is a bit of an awkward translation. Um, mustered his retainers, born into his household. All right. His crew, he, 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 he pulled together. How many of them were there? Numbering 318 and went in pursuit as far as Don. And that was, uh, you know, in the, in the, the regionally, he went, that's how, how deep he went into the war. He went to Don and eventually he was successful and he rescued his nephew uh, who was a POW, was a prisoner of war. Okay, how many people, how many um, military folks did Abraham go with? The Torah tells us 318. But we know, it's our family. We know the story. We know the story. Never happened. Never happened. We know this not because of the numerology. Like I said before, we know this because we know this, but the numerology supports it. There weren't 318 men with Abraham. It was one person, one solitary individual. It was Abraham and his trusted assistant whose name was Eliezer. I wrote Eliezer. The Hebrew word on top of this verse spells the word Eliezer. Eliezer is a name. In fact, one of my sons, who we call Eli, some of you may know Eli. Maybe I'll call him over at some point because he is still up. So um, his name is Shlomo Eliezer. This is his middle name. But this was Abraham's assistant's only name. His name was Eliezer. Wouldn't you know it? Let's do the math together. Let's count up the numerology of the name Eliezer. Aleph is 1. Lamed is 30. We should really have a calculator built in somehow. Um, Aleph is 1. Lamed is 30. Yod is 10. So that's 4. 41, right? Ayin is 70. So 41 plus 70 is? 120. Hold on. 40, 41 plus 70 is 111, correct? Yes? 
Yes. Okay. Plus seven. 118. 118. Plus raise 200. 318. 318. Guess how many people the Torah said went with Abraham? 318. Our sages say it wasn't 318 people. It was the person whose name equaled 318, i.e. it was Eliezer. So in the story of Abraham entering into the fray of battle, entering into the war to rescue his nephew Lot, there were two people. It was Abraham and Eliezer. The Torah says 318, it was the... He went with the 318. That's an allusion to Eliezer. He went with Eliezer. So, again, when you, read the, when you read an English translation of the Torah, even if you read the Hebrew, even if you read the original Hebrew language of the Torah, of the Bible, you, could be, you would be forgiven to thinking that Abraham had this whole uh, army battalion, small but strong, perhaps, that went with him. It never happened. Abraham and one other fellow. Okay, that's one. Again, just, just, uh, these are just examples of, of how gematria reshapes our understanding of the Bible and, and helps us understand what, what really happened. Let's look at another verse. Genesis 42, verse 2. Um, this is the story um, of when a famine broke out in Israel and Jacob sends his children to go down to Egypt to buy food from Egypt because in Egypt they had saved up food because Joseph was there, right? The plot twist, it was really Joseph who was running Egypt, second in command to Pharaoh, and, and he had been sold as a slave. I'm not going to rehash the whole story. We've all seen the play, right? Joseph, technical dream coat, fine, right? So... What happens? What is ja ja This is Jacob, Yaakov, Jacob. Look what he says. Now I hear he went on, he told his sons, that there are rations to be had in Egypt. Go down and procure rations for us there that we may live and not die. He tells his sons, go down. The Hebrew word is redu. Go down, redu. Reish, dalid, vav. Well, look at the numerology. Reish, as we just said, is 200. Dalid, Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalid is four. Vav, you know from before, is six. 200 plus four plus six is 210. How many years were the Jews in Egypt? The Egyptian slavery lasted, you guessed it, 210 years. And here we have an incredible prophecy and an incredible teaching. We know, it's not we know, the story is, the fact is, the Jewish people were enslaved or spent in time in Egypt a total of 210 years. Not all of them, by the way, were years of slavery. It started off okay under Joseph's uh, rulership, but eventually it, it soured with a new pharaoh, as the Torah tells us in the book of Exodus. But 210 years the Jews spent total in Egypt. And Jacob, when he first First time he tells his sons, hey, go down to Egypt, not knowing that Joseph was there, not knowing what would eventually transpire, telling his sons, go down to Egypt to buy food. The word that's used is redu, which is a weird word. It's a, it's a strange word to use in that context. Redu equals, numerologically, 210. That's exactly the number of years that they spent in Egypt. Next, Exodus 35. Moses convenes the people 
Moses gathers the people and talks to them about the building of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, the sanctuary of God in the, in the desert, in the wilderness. And Moses tells them, let's read the verse, two verses. Moses then convoked all right, um, the whole Israelite community and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. On six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of complete rest, holy to the Lord. This was, the context was gathering the people to tell them about this national building project God says, build me a home and I will dwell there. Build me a mishkan, build me a mikdash, build me a sanctuary, and my presence will dwell amongst you in that space. This was the tabernacle, the forerunner of the Beit HaMidrash, the holy temple, which stood in Jerusalem. Moses gathers the people, but as he gathers them, the first thing he tells them is, this is going to be a national building project, but only do it six days a week, because on the seventh day at Shabbat, even though it's God's house, take a day off. God doesn't want you to work. Even on his own house, don't work on Shabbat. Six days a week you should work. This work of building the Mishkan building. But on the seventh day, take a day off. A person might think, well, it's really important though. Maybe I should work all the way through. No. Even for this, no. Ela. Moses says, these are the things that God commanded you to do. Ela, these are the things... The word Ela, the numerology is Aleph is 1, Lamed is 30, He is 5, 30 plus 1 plus 5 is 36. Wouldn't you know it? How many forms of labor are prohibited on Shabbat? How many specific forms of work are, were, were involved in the building of the tabernacle and also prohibited on Shabbat? The number is this magical number of Ela, which is 36. Again, another allusion, another hint in the... In the, um, in the Torah. Next, in Leviticus 16, God says, the, the Torah tells us about Aaron entering the Holy of Holies in the Mishkan, in the tabernacle. And the Torah says, Thus only shall Aaron enter the shrine, with a, the shrine meaning the Holy of Holies, with a bull of the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And this is referring to the service that took place on actually the, the holy day of Yom Kippur, which is the only day in the Jewish calendar that the, that the high priest Aaron would go into the shrine, the Holy of Holies, and, and, and he could only go in doing the service in the appropriate way, which involved the bull and a ram, etc. Okay. But it says, Thus only shall Aaron enter. Thus only. Bezot. The Hebrew word is bezot. That's the Hebrew word that's written over here. Bezot, count up the numbers. Bet is two. Zion is seven. That's nine. Aleph is one. That's ten. Tough, the last letter, you know now. What's tough? 400. 400 plus one plus seven plus two is 410. Wouldn't you know it? The temple stood in Jerusalem. The temple stood in Jerusalem for... 410 years. The first temple stood for 410 years. Our sages tell us this is an illusion. This is a hint in Torah to the fact that Aaron would enter the shrine. Not Aaron himself, but the descendants of Aaron, the high priest, would enter the shrine, Bezot, 410 years before it would be destroyed by the Babylonians, led by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylonia, who destroyed the first temple after 410 years standing in Jerusalem. This is an allusion to that episode to that reality of, of Jewish life and Jewish history. Um, next, I'm going to give you some more. This is a classic one. Um, tzitzis. What are tzitzis or tzitzit? These are the fringes, um, the tassels, the strings, right? We know 
right? These guys. These, uh, if anybody needs something, I can always pull some strings. Jerry, we got to get the, I know, I know, it was, too, it was unexpected. Anyway, tzitzis, right? Some people wear them, a, a garment under their, under their shirt. They wear a, a small version. In synagogues, people wear them, you know, the bigger talit with the fringes, with the corners, the strings, the, the tassel in the corner. The Hebrew word, though, for the fringe, fringes, is tzitzit. And I'll read the verse, Numbers 15, 39. That shall be your fringe. Look at it and recall all the commandments of the Lord and observe them so that you do not follow your heart and your eyes and your lustful urge. In other words, look at the tzitzis, remind, remind yourself who you are, and, and you'll remain committed to what you need to be due to the Jewish way of life. Okay, what's the numerology? Tzaddik is 90, Yod is 10, Tzaddik is 90, Yod is 10, so 90 plus 10 plus 90 plus 10 is... 200 plus tough, the last letter again, you know this by now, is 400. 400 plus 200 is 600 plus eight strings and five knots. Five knots and eight strings. Five plus eight is 13. 600. The numerology of 600 plus 13 is 613, which equals the number of mitzvot, the number of commandments in the Bible. That's why the Torah says, when you look at the tzitzit, when you look at these strings, you'll remind yourself of the law, because you'll remember the numerology. You'll look at the 8 plus 5, and you got 613. So here you have a normative mitzvah. When I say normative, I mean everyone knows a talit. Everyone knows these strings, right? It's, it's, it's. And what's the meaning of it? The Torah says, you'll remember all the commandments when you look at it. Why? What do the strings have to do with remembering all the commandments? All 613. The numerology. This is from the, this is, this numerology is cited even by the basic Torah commentary, Rashi, who gives you the basic explanation. This is a, this is a, an example of a, a, a numerology, a gematria, that is so mainstream, it's even almost explaining the simple meaning of, um, of the word tzitzit. Okay, one... I have a question. Sure. Um, if you're looking at the strings and you're counting them, that's really not the letters. So that seems like a bit of fudging to me. Listen, when you're looking at it, you're look. What are you looking at? You're looking at tzitzis, which is six hundred. And what are they? What are they comprised of? Thirteen. So there you have it. I, I'm with you that when you're looking at it. You're not looking at the letters, but when you're looking at it, you're looking at tzitzis, which are 600. I, listen, this is what it says. This is what Rashi says. This is what the Medrash says, what the Talmud says. This is classic, I'm only repeating to you, classic Jewish teachings. This is not, I'm not, this is not my own invention. By the way, if, if I was inventing my own gematria, then, uh, then you should send me immediately out of this class because the whole point of gematria is that we don't make it up. Um, but the idea here is, again, that when you're looking at this mitzvah, you're looking at the mitzvah that has a name that equals 600, plus the, the physical components, 13, 613. So you layer it. You're right. I, I'm, I'm with, I understand your question. It's, it's, a, it's a bit of a combo package here, but it equals, it, it, it brings together this point. I want to show you one more along these lines. This is beautiful, and it's powerful. The word hirayon in Hebrew means pregnancy. Pregnancy. Let's count. Oh, I already gave you the number. Well, that takes away the fun. Well, 
I'll tell you the process. Hey is 5, Reish is 200, Yud is 10, so that's 215. Vav is 6, 221, Nun is 50, 271. Well, wouldn't you know it? Hirayon is the Hebrew word for pregnancy. How many days is a woman pregnant? How long is gestation? How long is nine months? Help me out here. Nine times 30, give or take. 270. Yep, 270. 271 is understood to be the days of gestation for, uh, for, you know, from, from, from the onset of pregnancy until birth is a, right about 271 days captured perfectly in the Hebrew word for pregnancy. You can't make this up because, again, the Hebrew is the code. The Hebrew is the code. If the, the code has to always work, right? If it doesn't look like it works, it means we haven't yet decoded the code. But in the code, you have all the information. It's impossible that, that whatever is out there is not in the code. So if there's a, a thing called pregnancy and it takes 271 days, it's going to be embedded in the Hebrew letters in one way or another. And here it's absolutely clear. I want to give you a few more things um, as we will be another few minutes. Give me four more minutes and then we're going to take some questions and we'll close out the class. Four more minutes. Um, the, the, there's an ancient nation that starts up with the Jews again and again and again in the Bible. You read the Bible from when the Jews left Egypt, throughout their journeys in the desert for 40 years, there's one nation that's like the Achilles heel of the Jewish people, and it's Amalek. Amalek is the nation that, want, that time and again provokes the Jewish people. The numerology of Amalek, which is the top Hebrew word there, is 240 which happens to be, not happens to be, which by design or by code is the same numerology as the Hebrew word suffix, which tells us parallel concepts. This is now numerology, parallel concept numerology. You have a Hebrew word amalek, which is 240. A Hebrew word suffix, which means doubt, that's 240. And, be, and as they share the same number, they don't share the same letters, but they share the same numerology, it indicates, in this context, that there is a conceptual connection. What is Amalek? What is the nation of Amalek? It is a timeless, not an ancient nation, it's a timeless concept. It's pouring cold water when you're excited, right? You're all excited, you just got out of Egypt, you just saw the hand of God, you're spiritually on fire, you're excited, and then Amalek comes along and says, nah, who are you kidding? What, you're suddenly so spiritual? Come on! Go, go to a restaurant and eat something. Take it easy. Stop getting all spiritual. What, you're going to start praying every day? What, you're going to start like being super religious? Come on, take it easy. That voice, whether it's internal or external, right? Whether it's coming from someone else or from ourselves inside, that is the timeless Amalek. What did Amalek do after the Jewish people left Egypt? They were on a high. They were on fire. They could do anything, they felt. And then Amalek came along and said, we're going to knock you down a few notches. Don't worry, you're susceptible like any other nation. You know, you could have an enemy, you could have a war, and you can have casualties like anyone else. Amalek strove to knock down the Jewish people, but more importantly, to sow doubt and indecision within the Jewish people that had clarity. And that is the timeless Amalek, and that's Suffolk, it's the same numerology and it's the same concept, and that's the timeless meaning of this nation. 
Next, oh, this, these are this, um, the next few that I have are a little bit complicated, a little bit complex. Okay, uh, all right, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it. Genesis 49. This is in the final blessing of Jacob before his passing. Jacob gathers his 12 sons, the 12 tribes, his 12 sons around him, around his bed, and he gives each one a blessing. This is the blessing to his son Judah, Yehuda. This is the blessing. He says the scepter, um, he's prophesying there that the, um, the monarchy, the Jewish monarchy would be from the tribe, from the house of Judah, King David, King Solomon, they were all from the tribe of Judah. So this is way before. So this is like the prophecy and the blessing. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh, or Shiloh, I'm going to say the Hebrew way, Shiloh arrives, and the homage of peoples be his. Uh, that last line over there, the homage of peoples be his, sounds very fancy. But here's what I want to focus on. Ad ki yavo Shiloh, until Shiloh arrives. Yavo Shiloh is the same numerology as Mashiach. They both equal 358. Do the math, you have the chart. Yavo Shiloh, that top line, which means Shiloh arrives, is the same numerology as Mashiach, which is the Messiah. And that means that the Messiah, Yavo Shiloh, is also going to come from the tribe of Judah. Again, reading the verse, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, etc., until Shiloh arrives, until Mashiach arrives. From King David until the Messiah, it's all going to be from the same family, from that tribe of Judah. And this is what we know in Jewish law, that the Messiah has to come from the tribe of Judah. That's something embedded in Jewish law. And this is where we have this illusion. Even though the, the verse itself does not talk about Mashiach, it talks about Yavo Shiloh. But what is Yavo Shiloh? Shiloh arrives. What does that mean? The numerology, 358, is Mashiach. Now, that's Yavo Shiloh. What about Shiloh itself? Shiloh is the same numerology as Moshe, Moses, 345. Do the math. Shiloh is the same as Moshe, which tells us something phenomenal. Shiloh is Mashiach, we just said, which is the final redeemer. Who was Moshe? The first Jewish redeemer. So we have a conceptual numerological connection Sorry, we have a conceptual connection reflected in the numerology between Shiloh, which we just explained is Yavo Shiloh is Mashiach. Yavo Shiloh, when Shiloh comes, that's a reference to Mashiach. So Shiloh is a euphemism for Mashiach, for the Messiah. Good. Shiloh, the Messiah, is, numer is the same numerology as Moshe because the final Redeemer is but a continuation from the first Redeemer of the Jewish people, the one who took us out of Egypt. Of course, God took us out of Egypt. But the human rep, the representative that, uh, that led the way was Moshe. And there's a connection between Moses, Moshe, Moses, and Mashiach 345. What's, what about Yavo? Right, there were two words, Yavo, Shiloh. So what about Yavo? That Shiloh shall come. What is the coming of Mashiach? That word Yavo equals 13. 10 plus 2 plus 1 is 13. Same gematria, same numerology as the word Echad. How do we bring Mashiach? How do we make Shiloh come? How do we make Mashiach come? It's when we introduce Echad, it's when we introduce Echad which is the one, Echad means one, right? Like Shema Yisrael, Hero Israel, Hashem is our God, uh, God is our God, uh, God is one. Hashem Echad, God is one. Echad is one. The, the numerology of one, ironically, is 13. <laughs> right, the word echad in Hebrew is the, it equals thirteen. 
That's, so what's the message? How do we bring Mashiach? How do we make the world a better place? How do we bring about world peace? What is Mashiach? What is the Messiah? World peace, right? No more hunger, no more violence, no more human suffering. How do we do all of that? It's when we introduce something, when we introduce divine godly values, the oneness of God into the world. When we bring truly and honestly and genuinely God into the world, that's what heals all of the, the stuff that fragments us, that drives us apart, all of the animosity. When you bring something bigger than everyone in, then suddenly people can get along. So that's the, that's the connection here between Yavo. How do we bring Shiloh Mashiach? It's with Echad. It's with this divine awareness. Okay, the same thing is true in our own lives. And what I mean by that is, Oh, sorry. Um, if we go back here, Yavo Shiloh, Mashiach. So what, what that means is, um, Mashiach, which is 358, equals Moshe plus Echad, right? Moshe, Moses, plus Echad, Moses, plus, plus the Hebrew word for one, 345, Plus 13 is that 358. So Moshe plus Echad equals Mashiach, 358. So how do we bring Mashiach? When we have Moshe, which is symbolic of Torah, right? Because Moses helped us get the Torah in addition to the Exodus. So when we have Torah and the oneness of God in Torah, when we bring um, God into the world through the study and the practice of Torah, that is what brings Mashiach and that is our mission in life. So... Uh, let me just kind of wrap it up with a blessing for all of us. May we find meaning in our lives. May we bring a higher truth into our lives, into our world, and elevate everything around us to a higher place, to a place of beauty, to a place of purpose, with the beautiful teachings of Torah, which we explored some of them tonight on a deeper level. And that will, please God, bring a lot of healing to the world. And, and I'll tell you this, we all know that the world certainly needs a lot of healing on every single level, whether it's on a physical level, emotional level, psychological level, spiritual level, the world certainly needs healing. And may we each do our part to bring that healing by bringing something higher, a little bit of higher values, higher truth into all of our interactions and into all of our, um, into all of our realities. Um, and let us say, Amen. Okay, so that takes us to the end of this lesson. Um, so just to summarize what we did tonight. What we did tonight is we started, this is only the beginning, because we have a ton more to cover, plus multiple, another several systems of numerology. If you think you got the chart tonight, okay, you got it, but there are other charts that give other formulas and, and we're going to learn how they work together in concert. And it's, it's, it's dizzying and it's beautiful. It's breathtaking. What do we do tonight? Here's the summary. Tonight, we gave the case for what gematria is. What is numerology? Why is it a thing? We explained that numerology is a, it's, it's a Kabbalistic way of understanding the text. It's a little bit of a deeper way of understanding the text. Um, but it's embedded in, in the Torah's interpretation. There are secrets that are, that are embedded in not only the language, but the shape of the letters, the sound of the letters, and of course, 
the, the number of the letters, the, the, the mathematical total of the letters. We explained that according to Kabbalah, the Hebrew letters of Torah are the code of creation. Therefore, if two words share the same letters, they share the same code, so they must be connected, even if they don't share the same letters. But if, when you count up the letters, if they share a common number, that's also, that also might be indicative that there is a connection between those two themes, those two concepts. And we gave several examples, actually, um, at least a dozen examples of deeper insights into themes and words using numerology or demonstrations of connections between two seemingly different um, concepts. But when you look at the numerology, you can find them intertwined. So that's what we did tonight. I hope it made sense. And with this, um, I'm officially closing out my part of the presentation, but I'll stay on for the next, uh, let's give it five more minutes for Q&A. Whoever would like to stay on, please jump right in. Questions, comments, rebuttals. Thank you, thank you for the I thank you. I enjoy it so much and, and it's, it's amazing to see the, the perfection, the light, the connection between like simple words and uh, that look simple, but yeah. they're so meaningful and, and uh, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank, thank you for, for, uh, for, for saying that. It's, it's really beautiful and the word I used in the, when, I, when I wrote up about the class and the word that I used tonight just before is breathtaking because the more you see it, the more you see the pattern, it just becomes, it's like sometimes your, your breath is taken away, you're like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Like that connection, that's pretty incredible. Like that all the numbers, like what we just did at the end, I know I, I went through very quickly, but like Yavo, Shiloh, Shiloh, Moshe, Mashiach, Echad, that whole, like that whole combo package at the end is like, it's mind blowing. And it all connects on a historical level, on a philosophical level, on a mystical level, on a purpose level, right? On, on every single level, it all connects. So anyway, thank you for saying that. Any other questions? Yes, Donna, go ahead. Uh, was the numbers, were they codified by commentary? You know, this kind of goes to the question earlier. Where does it come from? Right, where does it come from? Who, who, who set the chart? How do we know the chart? Right. Yeah, yeah, these charts go all the way back. These charts go all the way back to the beginning. Um, all the way back to the times of Moses, we have, we have this understanding of Gematria and the different charts. And by the way, as I mentioned very parenthetically, I hope you caught it, and not you, but all of you caught it, um, the different systems are not exclusive of each other. It's not like, well, if you're doing this system, then that system, you're rejecting that system. Everything works together. And by the way, um, I don't even know how to, how to say this without getting way too... We'll explore this in, in, in one of the subsequent sessions. But let me just drop this. Let me just drop this thing and allow it to like blow your mind. Every Hebrew letter, yeah, like Aleph, has one shape, right? Every letter is one, one, one specific shape. But say it out loud. Aleph. That's three, that's three letters. Aleph, Aleph, Aleph is three letters. It's one letter. Well, I just want to be clear. It's one letter, but say it out loud. Three letters. Every letter has three letters. Bet, 
It's not, the letter's not b. The letter's bet. Bet, so you could spell it. Aleph is spelled Aleph Lamed Fei. Bet is bet yud tough. Gimel. Gimel. Three letters. Gimel mem lamed. Which means, you ready for this? That not only do letters have their own numerology, like Aleph is one, bet is two, Gimel is three, but you can also add up all of the hidden letters within the letter and their numerologies. Are you with me? You see where, where that's where we're headed with this? Like the letter Aleph is not just one, it's one plus 30 plus 80, which is 111, which is 111. Yeah? The gematria of, of one, sorry, of Aleph is either one or 111, which is three ones. Anyway, and it gets more mind-blowing from there. And it's not exclusive. You can do this one and that one. The best way that I can explain it is, you know, it's almost like we're reading. I just have my notes here. It's like you're reading a, um, a story like this. Yeah, it's like you're reading a story, like on the page. And then when you get to numerology and these other forms of Torah interpretation, you realize that this flat text is layers deep. It's multiple dimensions deep. You're dealing with something that's not just like a flat, oh yeah, it's a narrative, yeah, yeah, I see it. It's like letters on a page. I can read it and understand it. Oh, oh, oh. sure you can, but then keep on looking down because there are layers, there are layers, and, and there's a whole world, there's like a substrate, there's like a whole other reality. You can learn it down here. I, I don't mean lower, I mean deeper. And then you can go this way. Are you with me? You can, you can go this way. You can go that way. You can go that way. It's like um, Connect Four, right? You can win that way, that way, or diagonal. It's, somebody asked if it's infinite. I think, Donna, you asked if it's infinite. The answer is yes. The answer is absolutely yes. And it's, um, it's I can't, there's no other word that I can say other than breathtaking. So that's it for tonight. This all, what I just discussed before, we will explore next week. Same bad time, same bad channel. I'll see you all then. Lila Tov, take the chart, and let me know if you find out the winner of the Super Bowl. Hey, listen, if it works, it works. I know I, I, know I slammed it before, but if it works, let's make it happen. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right, we'll see you all. Have a wonderful night. Tomorrow night, Jewish Course of Why. Um... That's tomorrow night, 8 p.m. If you want to know more about that, if you're not, not, yet, not yet in the class and you want to join, just reach out and let me know and we'll, we'll make it happen. All right. See you soon. Take care, everyone. All right. Lila Tov. Good night. Bye, Bye everyone.